dear fellow humans, to ASMR, the only true crime podcast with an ASMR twist. I am your ever-humble host, McGrew, and I am truly glad to see you again. My heart takes flight from seeing you once more. If life's lingering lanes led me away, just know that it's you who lured me back. The time apart has been too long, and now the glow of our gathering grows within me. Episode 29 awaits, but first a heartfelt hello from me to you. Do you hear the wind? The thunder? Worry not, fellow humans. We have time. If this is your first time with me, I urge you to grab the tasty beverage of your choice. Huddle close to the fire and listen. Together we'll traverse the trails of the past, tinged with tales of terror and temptation. Fellow humans old and new, your presence here parts the clouds of my absence, and we now find ourselves in the precipice of another provocative story. Today's tale takes place in Chicago in the 80s. The hair was big, the music was bigger, and synth was everywhere. It was a Gen Xer's wildest dreams. It was in these wild times of latchkey kids, E.T. and Michael Jackson, that our story takes place. The year was 1982, a year pulsing with promise playing out in the prime of excess and exploration. Oh, those delicious days and delirious nights. My fire is dying. It needs more wood. So I must pause to stoke the flames and to offer a content warning while I attend this elemental embrace. And so I do. This episode contains graphic content not suitable for some audiences, including mentions of death and poisonings. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Safety and serenity are at the soul of our shared space, fellow humans. Always remember. Now that that's out of the way, where was I? Oh yes, Latchkey Kids, E.T., Michael Jackson. Fellow humans, our tale takes us back to a time tinged with temptation and turmoil. Hold tight, for we are about to tread the land of the material girl. Wait. That didn't come out until 1985. Oh, I forgot we were on that timeline. Oh well. We travel in tales, fellow humans, and time can get... tricky. <laughs> ah, the 80s. A time where music and movies melded minds and moved masses. But in the midst of Madonna and mullets, something menacing meandered its way into the Windy City. Imagine, fellow humans, the most mundane of moments, reaching for a remedy to ease a headache or soothe a sore throat, only for that simple act to spiral into something sinister. The Chicago Tylenol murders were just that, a chilling chapter where the everyday act of swallowing a pill became a deadly dice roll. Seven souls were snuffed out, seven stories stilled by an unseen hand using a common capsule as its cold, cruel weapon. In this episode, we'll unfurl the facts of each fate, shedding light on lives lost too soon, 
But for now, let's play the landscape. It was 1982, a year of big beats and even bigger uncertainties, and for some Chicago residents, it would be their last dance. The beats of heart drums replaced by heartbreak, and our tale today tunes into that tragic tempo. In the midst of Chicago's gleaming skyscrapers and bustling streets, seven lights dimmed, each with its own story to tell. There was Mary Kellerman, a vivacious 12-year-old with a whole life ahead of her, only for it to be stolen away by a morning's medicine. Adam Janus, a postal worker and a loving family man, inadvertently invited death in while trying to find relief from chest pains. Tragically, his heartbroken family, his brother Stanley and his sister-in-laws, Teresa, in their attempt to calm their nerves and cope with their sudden loss, fell to the same silent assassin. Young Mary McFarland simply wanted to abate a headache during her workday, while Paula Prince, a vibrant flight attendant, sought solace for a cold. 27-year-old Mary Reiner was recovering postpartum, hoping to relieve some pain after the recent birth of her fourth child. And lastly, there was Lynn Weiss, a 31-year-old telephone operator who unknowingly met her in in the quest for comfort. Each individual, unique in their life's journey, converged upon a singular grim fate, intertwined in a macabre tapestry of trust betrayed by a household name. Our first victim was Mary Kellerman, a lively 12-year-old with twinkling eyes and dreams as vast as the Chicago skyline, started her day like any other. As the first blush of sunlight spilled through her window, she complained of a cold and was given a Tylenol capsule, a seemingly innocent antidote. But as the day unfurled, the Kellerman household was plunged into unimaginable grief. Mary's vibrant spirit was abruptly extinguished, her youthful exuberance silenced forever. Her sudden demise marked the beginning of a dark chapter, a sinister sequence that would grip Chicago in fear and suspicion. This innocent child, with her whole life stretching out ahead of her, unknowingly became the first victim of a malevolent menace lurking within the very medicine cabinets of the city's unsuspecting residents. The echoes of Mary's tragic end had barely faded when Chicago's heart was struck again. Adam Janus, a 27-year-old postal worker, embodied the essence of the American dream. With a stable job, a loving family, and aspirations that reached beyond the skyscrapers of the Windy City, Adam was the archetypal young man on the rise. On that fateful day, as chest pains gripped him, he sought solace in the innocuous embrace of a Tylenol capsule, believing it to be the key to relief. But little did he know that this small act taken by millions daily would mark his last moments. The joyous laughter and heartwarming stories that echoed in the Janus household were replaced with tears and disbelief. Adam, in the prime of his life, became the second beacon to be dimmed, intensifying the burgeoning dread enveloping Chicago and bringing into sharp focus the perilous puzzle that the city now faced. As Chicago grappled with the growing gravity of these grim events, another tale of sorrow was added to this chilling chronicle. 
Stanley Janus, Adam's loyal brother and beacon of support for his family, found himself caught in this macabre web of tragedy. In the hours following Adam's shocking departure, Stanley, along with his wife Teresa, were drawn together in their shared grief. In their search for solace, they turned to the same Tylenol model, seeking comfort in its familiar promise of relief. It was a decision that would prove devastating. Stanley's life, so intricately tied to his brother's, was snuffed out in an eerily similar manner. In a cruel twist of fate, the Janus family was forced to confront the unimaginable, mourning two beloved souls, both claimed by an insidious shadow that was now casting its pall over the city's once trusted medicine cabinets. The dark tale deepened, with the weight of each passing making the mystery more malevolent and the city's fear more fervent. In the thickening fog that loomed over Chicago, another story of loss emerged. Teresa Janus, Stanley's devoted wife, and a beacon of resilience amidst the family's tragedy, found herself ensnared in this nefarious narrative. Having already grappled with the unbearable pain of losing her brother-in-law, Teresa sought a momentary escape from her anguish. She reached for the very Tylenol bottle that had claimed her husband. Tragically, it would also mark her own untimely end. The city watched in mounting horror as the Janus family's tale took another turn for the worse. Teresa's radiant spirit, her compassionate nature, and her dreams for the future were abruptly extinguished, adding another layer of sorrow to the unfolding saga. This community, once a tapestry of trust and togetherness, found itself fraying at the edges, reeling from the growing number of victims of this enigmatic enemy. As the city's heartbeat raced with anxiety and apprehension, Another life was claimed, weaving a new thread into this darkening tapestry. Mary McFarland, a 31-year-old mother, was the embodiment of hard work and determination. Laboring diligently at her job in Illinois Bell, she epitomized the spirit of the 80s, balancing the demands of hard work with the joys and challenges of motherhood. One afternoon, as a nagging headache encroached upon her duties, Mary reached out for the solace of a Tylenol capsule unknowingly sealing her fate. The sanctity of her workspace became the backdrop for yet another chapter in this somber sequence of events. The glimmers of Mary's warmth, her laughter, and her dreams became memories for those who cherished her. As news of her untimely demise spread, the city of broad shoulders felt its weight deepen, its confusion compound, and its determination to unravel this perilous puzzle intensify. The specter of dread that haunted Chicago's streets continued its relentless march, casting a shadow over another household. Paula Prince, a vivacious 35-year-old flight attendant with a penchant for adventure and a heart full of dreams, became the latest page in this macabre manuscript. After a long flight, Paula sought rest and reprieve from minor ailments by turning to the seemingly safe embrace of a Tylenol capsule. This act, which many considered to be routine, tragically charted her final flight. The corridors of her apartment complex echoed with disbelief as the vibrant spirit who once walked with grace and a cheerful smile was claimed by this unseen malevolence. 
The city's collective heartbreak deepened as the puzzle grew more and more intricate and the urgency to halt this harrowing harvest of souls became palpable. Paula's star, which once shone brightly in the sky she loved to traverse, was dimmed too soon, leaving behind only memories of her radiant aura. As the days darkened and Chicago's heart ached with each passing, one more soul was tragically torn from the tapestry. Mary Ryder, a 27-year-old mother, freshly basking in the joys of having brought her fourth child into the world, became the final name etched into this grim ledger. Eager to recover and rejuvenate postpartum, she reached for a Tylenol capsule, seeing it as the promise of relief and restoration. But this innocuous act led her down a tragic trajectory. Mary, a beacon of maternal warmth and familial love, had her bright future brutally curtailed. Her children, still too young to comprehend the enormity of their loss, were left to navigate the world without their guiding star. The city, already reeling from the preceding tragedies, felt the weight of her loss keenly. Mary Ryder's tragic end served as a mournful culmination to a series of heart-wrenching events that forever changed the fabric of Chicago and the trust that its residents placed in the commonplace. The sudden string of deaths linked to the cyanide-laced Tylenol capsules plunged Chicago into a state of unease, prompting an investigation of monumental proportions. Local authorities were quick to rally, merging efforts with federal agencies like the FBI and the Food and Drug Administration. Their initial focus was to comprehend the scope and scale of the tragedy. It became clear that the malevolent act was not limited to one store or batch. Multiple locations and bottles had been compromised. In a race against time to prevent further tragedies, the Chicago Police Department took proactive measures. A citywide alert sounded, urging citizens to treat every Tylenol capsule with suspicion. Officers took to the streets, broadcasting warnings through loudspeakers and engaging in door-to-door -door advisories in certain neighborhoods. The visual of the blue and white squad cars, usually a symbol of routine security, now conveyed a sense of urgent alarm to every resident they passed. Retailers, heeding the gravity of the situation, swiftly cleared their shelves of Tylenol products, resulting in a product recall that was unprecedented at its scale. Meanwhile, Johnson & Johnson, the parent company of Tylenol, grappled with the dual challenge of assisting the authorities in the investigation and managing a public relations crisis that threatened to obliterate their trusted brand. They cooperated wholeheartedly with the investigation, providing any and all necessary data to the authorities. Forensic analysis became paramount. Each tampered bottle was meticulously examined, searching for clues that might point to the perpetrator or the method of contamination. While the presence of cyanide was confirmed, the origin and exact method of tampering remained elusive. Given the widespread nature of the contamination, the net of potential suspects was vast, ranging from disgruntled employees to sinister external entities seeking to harm the brand or sow chaos. As the days stretched into weeks, the investigation's vast machinery churned steadily, processing thousands of tips from the public. A hotline was established to gather leads, and Johnson & Johnson put forth a hefty reward for information leading to the arrest of those responsible. 
while the streets of Chicago bore a veneer of normalcy beneath the surface, an intense and intricate dance of detection was underway, with the city's trust and a brand's legacy hanging in the balance. The aftermath of the Chicago Tylenol murders sent ripples not just through the city, but across the nation and the world. A profound unease settled over the American populace as the very idea that an everyday over-the-counter medicine could be weaponized in such a malevolent manner shattered a collective sense of security. Even after the immediate panic subsided, the chilling realization remained. This crime, one of the most insidious acts of product tampering in history, remained unsolved. Despite the best efforts of the combined investigative forces and countless hours of probing and profiling, no viable suspects were ever identified, let alone apprehended. This uncertainty and fear fundamentally altered the way consumers viewed over-the-counter products. There was an immediate call for sticker safety regulations and tamper-proof packaging. The idea that products on shelves could be easily tampered with became an unacceptable risk in the public eye. This wave of concern rapidly moved through the halls of power, and legislative changes were soon in motion. In response to the growing public demand, Congress passed the Federal Anti-Tampering Act in 1983. This piece of legislation made it a federal offense to tamper with consumer products, a move that aimed to deter would-be criminals from similar malevolent actions in the future. Violating this act could result in severe penalties, including long prison sentences, sending a clear message about the gravity of such crimes. Beyond federal legislation, manufacturers took note. Johnson & Johnson, the parent company of Tylenol, was particularly proactive. Recognizing the magnitude of the trust breach, they introduced tamper-evident packaging, a pioneering move that set new industry standards. Capsule medications saw a decline in popularity, with many companies, including Johnson & Johnson, transitioning to caplets, which were viewed as harder to tamper with. The pharmaceutical and food industries as a whole began a sweeping overhaul of their packaging protocols. Tamper-evident seals became commonplace, from bottles of ketchup to jars of peanut butter. Safety seals, shrink bands, and breakable caps turned into the new norm. These changes, while adding to the production costs, were recognized as expenditures to regain consumer trust. The broader corporate world learned a valuable lesson in crisis management from Johnson & Johnson's handling of the situation. Their swift decision to recall 31 million bottles of Tylenol at a cost of over 100 million, coupled with their transparency and commitment to consumer safety, is often cited in business schools as a textbook response to a major crisis. The legacy of the Tylenol murders, while dark and tragic, spurred significant positive changes in consumer safety. The transformation of packaging standards, the bolstering of laws, and the focus on consumer trust became lasting testaments to the lessons learned. However, for the families of the victims and the residents of Chicago, the wounds took much longer to heal, if ever. The shadow of an unsolved crime, the weight of unanswered questions, and the facelessness of the malevolent actor behind it all continued to hang heavy, a somber reminder of the fragility of trust in a modern world.
Fellow humans, as we step back and reflect on the haunting narrative of the Chicago Tylenol murders, a slew of contemplative insights and what-if ponderings beckon our collective consciousness. The very fabric of our daily trust was pierced through this unsettling series of events. How many times have we, without a second thought, reached for an OTC that's over-the-counter for those that don't know, medication or any other product, trusting in the inherent safety that they promise? What if this trust, so foundational yet so fragile, were repeatedly tested? Would our society shift towards a heightened sense of skepticism? Or would we find innovative means to continually rebuild and reassure? Then, of course, there's the question of responsibility and vigilance in the age of mass production. The incident forced companies to pivot drastically towards tamper-proof methods, but what if such an incident were to occur today, in the era of digital reviews and instant news? <laughs> that rhymed. Would the reaction be swifter and the panic more widespread, or would the collective power of global consumers lead to quicker resolutions? and tighter checks. And as we continually strive for progress in the realms of technology and communication, do we also need to remain ever vigilant of the evolving threats that accompany them? Lastly, as we delve into the depths of human motivations and the dark corners of the psyche, one can't help but wonder what drives an individual or individuals to commit acts of such senseless malevolence. Is it a cry for attention? A perverse sense of power, or a manifestation of a deep-rooted animosity against society at large? What if there are potential warning signs or triggers we can identify to prevent such tragedies in the future? Fellow humans, as we journey through these tales together, it's crucial that we not only recount the events, but also continually seek understanding, always aiming to evolve, adapt, and most importantly, Fellow humans, as the tales and truths of tonight have unfolded, I glance over to find our once roaring fire has dwindled to mere embers, its glow casting faint flickering shadows on the surrounding trees. The comforting darkness that once enveloped us now gives way to the soft light of dawn, painting the sky in hues of gentle blues and warm oranges. It's the eternal dance of night giving way to day, and as much as our souls have intertwined during these dark hours, it's time for you to tread the path back to the world outside, back to the rhythm of your lives. The silence in the aftermath of our tale hangs heavy, doesn't it? It's the quiet that often follows profound revelation, or the intake of breath after a deep sigh. We've traversed together through the labyrinthine alleys of human nature, and now at the end of episode 29 of ASM Murder, a momentary stillness is both fitting and necessary. Remember, dear ones, while I typically spend my tales at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, life and its myriad mysteries might sometimes delay me. Yet, fret not, just wait for me by the crossroads on the hill. Nestled deep within the woods, and I promise I will be there. Eventually. If tonight's tale has ignited a thirst for more, or if you just wanted to hear more of me in general, please find your way to my website 
at www.murderpod.net. That's M-U-R-D-E-R-P-O-D.net. For those of you immersed in the realm of social media, you'll find me navigating the waters of your Facebooks, tweeting tales on your Twitters, and even embracing the energy of your TikToks. I'll leave links in the description for your convenience. Your time, fellow humans, is a gift, a treasure, and I am humbled and honored that you chose to share it with me. Time, like the fleeting moments between dusk and dawn, is irreplaceable. Cherish it. And as you journey onwards, wrapped in the memories of our shared tales, remember, time is our most precious asset. Every moment, every heartbeat, every breath is unique, and we must never squander it. Until our paths cross again under the moonlit sky, or by the gentle gray of dusk, please be kind to yourselves and be good to each other. This is your friendly neighborhood crew, signing off.